Unorthodox Podcast, The New Road to Success in Higher Education. I'm here with Aaron Mays and Kaylin Rosansky. Is that correct? Did I pronounce that right? Yes, that was All great. Right. Great. So they are the founders of the EBCO. So I, let's talk a little bit about uh, your backgrounds and where you came from before starting your company. Aaron? Me? Okay. I have spent my entire career in consulting coming out of UCLA with a traditional social science and design background, anthropology and design media arts. I wanted to go into a field that combined those. It was a little bit hard to find initially uh, because I had uh, asked for advice and was not getting it. So I searched around and found this career of design strategy, design research, was really excited by it and worked for a really awesome product design firm in Marina Del Rey. For about six years till I moved on to a larger, much larger global firm before leaving and trying out uh, the client side. So moving from consulting to internal and that turned out to be a disaster. So I left and <laughs> I started the company with my business partner, Kaylin. <laughs> we got printers going on around here. And the printer distracted me. Um, yeah. So I think we'll probably get to that disaster here in a little bit about why I left that company. But then Kaylin and I reconnected. We had met working together at a consulting firm and we were on completely different paths. We quit at completely different times and she reached out just to see what I was up to. And it turned out there was a lot of synergy. And then we launched Ebco and things, we haven't looked back and things are going really, really well. If you were to say, um, if you were to pick out something from your educational experience that really was important to you that allowed you to be successful in your current career? What would it have been? And tell me a little bit about that. Um, I would say like from an education perspective, when I was in college, the ability to pick what interests you was new. So, you know, when you're in high school, everything's very prescribed, but when you get to college, you can start deciding what interests you, what classes you want to take, what types of internships outside of school you want to take. And you start shaping your own trajectory. So just that thought process and not worrying about more traditional stages of, of moving towards something like becoming a more traditional, like a doctor or a lawyer, a path that's very well known, but rather just sort of feeling my way and what interests me has really guided my same thought process as a business owner and entrepreneur of just following what interests me. And when things don't feel right or don't feel like a good fit, letting them go and and continuing to move in a direction that feels like something that's comfortable and exciting and, and creates a lot of passion for me. Okay. Kayla. Same question. Same question. Great. Wait, well, but what about her background? Well, she, that is about her bio <laughs> and her background. Oh, okay. So I'll go way back actually to high school since I have a very different background educationally than Aaron. So in high school, I was a very traditional student. Um, I actually freaked myself out in about eighth grade, and I was so paranoid that I wasn't going to get into a top school. So ever since ninth grade, I really structured myself so that I could graduate in the top 10% of my class. So I took honors, AP, graduated with a 4.2, pretty much could go anywhere I wanted in Michigan at least at the time. And what I found, though, was that I was really lacking passion for any of those traditional career paths, like being a doctor 
a lawyer. I even wanted to be a plastic surgeon at one point until I realized that I couldn't look at blood. So I realized that a lot of the traditional paths that I had heard about just weren't very exciting to me at all. They were very limited in their thinking, in my opinion. So I started looking at other types of schools and I found FITM, which is in downtown Los Angeles. It's a school that's primarily known for fashion right now. And they really focus on having two-year what they call technical degrees, where you're highly immersed in classes that are taught by real professionals. So all of your teachers are currently working in the industry or they're not allowed to actually teach at FITM. And they have a pretty strict process for that. And they all center around things you'd actually be doing in a job. So you're actually working with the technologies you'd be using at a company. You're actually using a lot of the, you're doing the same projects that you'd be doing once you have a job in those careers. Uh, and everything is taught again by people that have those jobs. So you're taught by head designers, product developers, trend forecasters, researchers. So it was a really interesting education. I did that for about two years. And then I also did a third year advanced program. So I'm not sure about other technical schools, but at FITM, they have about five to six advanced courses where you get to travel the world. You get to take classes that you're actually working for a real client. So we got to work for Torrid and Hot Topic for an entire year designing their product line. So we started with doing real consumer research. We traveled to Milan and Paris to do fabric, print, and pattern research. We traveled to Hong Kong to get all of our sourcing and suppliers and actually see real factories, which at the time was pretty shocking because you got to see working conditions around the world. You got to understand how much cheaper product is in China. We actually got to cross the border. So it was a pretty exciting experience at that time in my life. And we also got to go to Hong Kong, which is very different from Guangzhou and actually going into mainland China. So after that experience, I actually had an instructor who was working in the industry and she was a trend expert. And, you know, she's a really interesting person who really taught me about looking at macro movements and doing research outside of the fashion industry. So even though after college, I immediately started doing product development and technical design, I realized that that really wasn't my passion. So I feel like the biggest benefit from going to a more technical school is that a lot of times they're teaching you how to think differently about things, how to think very action oriented about a job scenario and how to make yourself very valuable to a job. So I feel like that thinking helped me a lot more than I would say a lot of my friends who ended up going to a U of M or Michigan State where a lot of them left college not really sure what job to get into. So a lot of people that took marketing classes or um, more general communication courses, I feel like a lot of them that um, weren't sure what they wanted to do when they went into college are still in the same boat where you know they haven't really found those jobs that they really love or their dream jobs and they're still trying to figure it out. Well, that makes my experience at UCLA sound really boring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now let me ask you this. It's two unlikely pairs. I mean, usually people, when you look at people starting companies or people talking about education, everyone looks at the pedigree of the education. But you are two individuals that are very successful in your companies, but you come from two different educational backgrounds. How do you think that's helped you in, um, in your pursuits as a company? Yeah. You mean for EBCO specifically? Yeah. I would say that my background coming from UCLA with a traditional degree in anthropology and design has helped us. I mean, it does come up from time to time and it has clout and status regardless of whether or not Caitlin's running the entire program and wherever we're focused on has nothing to do with my expertise. So it's pretty interesting that it it holds that weight mm-hmm. in scenarios where it probably doesn't impact what we're doing hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are 
situations where my degree in anthropology literally is the type of work we're doing. We're going into the field and we're studying people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that you couldn't get that understanding elsewhere. I'll turn it over to Kaylin, but um, just before I do that, I think that her experience in an action-oriented environment, which is something I've never experienced from an education perspective, probably impacts the entrepreneurial trial, trial and error aspects of our business more so than the traditional path, I would say. Um, but we get along in the sense that I can think that way. But I think it's probably inhibits people to just be in such a structured environment. You probably need something that's like a little bit different and a little bit out there if you really want to support entrepreneurial efforts. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Yeah, I would say that I think going to or having the type of education I had, it was very competitive in a sense where because it's so project based, people are always trying to outshine others and you really see what it takes to be in the top 1% of what you're doing. I would say, though, definitely to Aaron's point, there is a clout with traditional education. So there have definitely been times where I've interviewed for jobs where I feel like um, I've been qualified and I've had really great project work and that question has come up. And, you know, sometimes it is unfortunate that that's weighed a little bit higher than your actual experience or project work. But I would say at this point, I feel like I have such a great library of work that it doesn't always come up as much. So yeah. I think experience does start to trump education at a certain point, but there is that tipping point. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, tell me a little bit about the success you've had at EPCO. Tell me about your clients, the type of clients you've worked with and the work that you currently do. And I think it's important for our listeners, especially those that are looking at pursuing alternative education, but also um, for those that want to learn about what you do and what the EPCO does as a whole. So EPCO is a trend an innovation pipeline consultancy. We work with large companies, Fortune 500, Fortune 100, Fortune 50, with marketing teams, innovation teams, trend teams, R&D, technical, it's all, all sorts of disciplines within these large companies to look at the macro trends, both inside and outside their category, to understand what's shifting in the world, both culturally and in the business space and with products and services and business models so that they can understand what products and services they need to deploy in their next generation, whether to target a new market or to evolve their product offerings or whatever that might be. And it's very consultative. It's very research-based. It's really exciting work. And we've been really fortunate to work with really amazing companies. It, It didn't start out that way necessarily. We started small which could be a lesson for your audience is, you know, to, to go right for where you're comfortable. And we were comfortable working with really large clients because that was our experience in our prior consulting firms. But when we went and tried to do this ourselves, we thought, oh, we should work with smaller companies or people with smaller businesses. And it really wasn't our strong suit. So as soon as we let that go and started working with the real large companies, we started seeing a lot of success. And we work with one of the largest coffee companies in the world and one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world a few of the largest CPG companies in the world. So we're doing really well now. Can you can you give us those names? We probably could. It wouldn't be a big deal, but I sort it's of It's on your like website. We, yeah, oh, so, just so just check out the me. website. Okay. Bamco.com. You could probably find something there. Look at our LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, it's just it's been really exciting. It's been really successful. And um, yeah, we work across industries. I don't remember the rest of the question. Okay. No, that's fine. So... Um, so you haven't really worked in higher ed. 
right? You haven't worked no, with those couples. So what do you think yeah, that they're that missing? That. Yeah. We, yeah, we actually almost worked with a higher ed company. It was a for-profit company, a very successful one. Um, I can't remember what their revenue was, like 70 or 80 million or something like that. And I mean, just a really fascinating environment, a great student body, a really great uh, professional body of people who work there. And we were asked what our approach would be to understanding their consumer journey. The consumer being the student who's purchasing this educational experience and understanding what they go through in selecting an education, how they make this decision, how they're treated along the way from the first point of contact or inquiry to entering the environment and seeing what the programs are like or the physical space. Should it not be an online program? Um, are they serviced properly throughout their experience? And then the aftermath, do they get the job that they want? Do they get the uh, land the career path that they were hoping for. So they were we were asked to do this, and this included a lot of interviews and observation with the, the students themselves or prospective students, as well as working with the internal team on their process and their workflow and where there were any um, divots or uh, pain points going on that we could fulfill. And then the other aspect of it was the trend perspective. What's happening in higher education? What do consumers need um, from you know, from their higher education experiences and those sorts of things. And the program did not pan out. We we didn't move forward. That happens from time to time. But I absolutely think it's something that is extremely interesting, extremely valuable, very, very timely with the constant shift in regulation and rules that are happening in that industry and keeping up with the trends of students, especially students who want to avoid crazy student loans or who can't have um, a schedule that's absorbed into four years of their life. Maybe they have a career path that they need to keep up with or children that they need and they need these alternative experiences. So this is an industry that's ripe for innovation and to evolve a bit with consumers. Um, so hopefully one day we'll still get to embark on that because we love dab, you know, dabbing into different industries. What do you think Kayla, they're missing? Well, I can tell from my experience with FITM, I wouldn't have went there if the rep that I was working with didn't call me and follow up with me. And it was really interesting because I think I was on the cusp of, I might've like had the, the big enough fear of making that leap where I would have went to a more traditional path, but she kept following up. I flew out to LA to do a school tour. It felt totally customized. I mean, you really can't get that type of experience when you're going through traditional education. So I think the customer service points are really crucial, especially when someone's making that big of an investment. And it can be a little scary for some people that have been told to go the traditional education route their entire life. And that's really been droned into them from their parents. I think also there's a huge, um, there's a uh, really bad retention rate with a lot of those schools where, you know, they're struggling, struggling with their profitability from years to years on years. I mean, they've even heard that with FITM where they have had a hard time keeping all of their programs going because they try to do things that are very specialized and diverse. So when you're trying to do things as niche as jewelry design, for example, it becomes harder to keep those programs open for eight or nine students a year. So I think awareness is a big problem as well. They're spending a lot on marketing or, you know, maybe they don't have a good enough marketing funnel going or they don't have a strong enough sales department going. But I think there's definitely challenges because I've heard a lot since I've graduated that FITM has had problems um, throughout the years. And that's really surprised me just because I really loved my experience there. Okay. So I have a question for you. I know it's not my podcast. Can I ask her something? Yeah, of course. <laughs> just to put our EBCO skills on the on, <laughs> on spot um, here. 
Um, so what do you think for that industry in terms of like what's trending out there? You know, what could we, what could these companies be thinking of next? I mean, we've seen some really cool stuff and how consumers are, you know, engaging in material and exploring their futures. And we know a lot about millennial buyers as well. Well, I thought this is really interesting. They actually have a degree now and I believe social media there. Mm-hmm. So actually like posting on social media, like keeping up a content creation, being an influencer. So I thought that was such an interesting degree considering people now can have entire jobs just posting smoothie like next bowl generation online. degrees yeah. is a huge thing to explore what, what the offerings should be. Also, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, if you haven't seen his speech, I believe it was for Harvard, that he gave. It's all about how centennials and millennials really have to be very specialized in what they're doing they really have to build a creative brand around themselves. And you see that a lot in social media now. Everyone is branding themselves based on the content that they're putting out. And I think we'll just continue to see that with jobs, people just getting much more specialized so that people are coming to them as an expert, even if they're hiring you for a job. And, you know, you're not just in a candidate pool with a hundred other people. Yeah, I also, and I also think from a business perspective, just the way millennials and centennials patronize businesses the different touch points they expect, the type of service that they expect. Um, you know, they have all these random business models now between subscription services and drop-in pop-up shops and all those sorts of things. And you can learn from those and translate that into what an educational experience would be like. Can you tell um, tell the listeners a time in your journey where you had an aha moment when you were either in your career or in developing your company that you just had an aha moment that really launched you to another stratosphere in your career? For me, it would be when I I left consulting and I went internal and I just, it was such the wrong fit. And I had this aha moment when we were sitting there one day, it was me, a few other team members and the boss. And she came over and she was apparently attempting to tell us something, but she was totally passive aggressive and beating around the bush and wouldn't say it directly. And I had this moment where I was like, why am I here? I've worked with amazing companies. I've traveled around the world. I've seen some of the You know, I've seen the Taj Mahal and the Great Wall of China and Stonehenge. I have all these experiences with different types of consumers. I just really felt like I had been very alive and excited by things. I'm sitting here with this passive aggressive person who can't get their words out. I was like, this is enough. I'm out of here. It's time to start my own company. It's time to find something that I'm passionate about, something that, you know, a space where everyone will respect my opinion. And, and, you know, I can really be involved in what, what my future looks like. So I just ditched that pretty much that night. That was that. So leap of faith. Yeah. It was just was so clear, though. Like, what was I going to do? Come in tomorrow and guess again what she was talking about? No way. Who has time for that? <laughs> yeah. <No>, makes sense. <laughs> so it's going, taking an unorthodox approach to your career. Yeah. Pretty unorthodox. Yeah. I mean, it was highly unrecommended by most people, but worked out very well. <laughs> yeah. No, it worked out great. Kaylin, how about for you? Naha moment. <laughs> Yeah, realism. <laughs> definitely. Well, at my last job, I felt like I was being held back. Um, and I feel like this probably happens to a lot of people's jobs where they're not giving the chance to grow anymore, or there's political reasons why they're being held back, or maybe they have a bad manager. I mean, there's tons of people out there that feel like they're not progressing in their job anymore. And to that, I would say to definitely figure out what you're passionate in, because I realized that I was so passionate about trends and our company had really stopped pushing that as a major sales or deliverable that they were offering companies. So there wasn't a huge role for me in doing that. So I decided to start doing it on my own. And I left, um, started getting consulting jobs, doing it, started building my own client base. And ultimately just realized that it was a, there was a huge market, a huge potential for it. 
So I feel like in today's economy, there's no reason why you, if you're really passionate about something that you can't just go out and create it yourself and figure out who your buyer is. Yeah. All the tools are there. You know, sometimes you have to like move money around a little bit or be smart about it, but everything's there for you. Good. All right. So if you could share one personal habit or daily routine that contributes to your success. Oh my gosh. A daily habit. Well, we just started one. Drinking, <laughs> drinking super brain coffee with some fat in it to get our memory going bulletproof. and our bulletproof coffee to get our brains going. We're trying to make that a habit. Um, I would say, you know, this habit sounds kind of silly. I don't know if Kaylin would call this a habit, but we just check in with each other. We sort of do this. It's sort of just like, what's the status of the business? Talking about money, talking about what we need to do today, what, things that are coming up. And it sort of just keeps your, your brain going and keeps you on top of what you need to be doing. Um, and we'll do it through, you know, through traffic or through a baby in the background. It doesn't matter. It's just sort of keeping up to date, you know, and when you're not working in a large company and things are pretty fluid, it's important to make sure that you keep doing that, you know, just get stuck in your own head. So one for me is doing every morning now, I've been doing a list of 10 outrageous things that could happen to me that day. And I mean, good outrageous things, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really just to change my mental state before the day. Um, and I learned that through Tony Robbins, like really conditioning your body um, and your energy to be really high that day so that when you start getting opportunities, like you're talking to a client or something comes your way, you're not in such a negative mental state that you can't see it. Because so often, you know, just from being business owners, we talk to a lot of different people from contractors to clients to freelancers to employees. And we always think it's so funny when we're basically offering someone an opportunity and they can't see it based on their current mental state. They're still carrying baggage with them from the past day, the past week, the past experience. So that's something that I try to clear on a daily basis now. Yeah, we've actually had that where we're like, okay, let's work together. Here's what we can offer. And they're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. And we're like, all right, then don't take it. And then a week later, like, hey, so is that opportunity still on the table? Like, no, we moved past it. You know, you really got to be ready. Yeah. So, you know, I know there's winning and losing, and I like to call it winning and learning. So, you know, can you share a time in your journey where you experienced failure and what you learned from it? Hmm. Experienced failure in this journey. Well, we've, I don't know, is it failure if you don't win a project? No. Unless you, I mean, did you learn something from not winning that project? I mean, you're not going to win 100% of your projects. Yeah, I know, but we always want to win 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But. Okay. So here's a failure. We can both talk to it. We <laughs> had a major fail in hiring someone. Okay. I mean, we got really caught up in what she said she had to offer. Her personality was super infectious. I mean, if she really was what she said she would be, she would be an awesome person because she's fun to hang around, tells good stories, those sort of things. But she turned out to be a pathological liar, which Kaylin knew because Kaylin has a pathological liar detector. She's like, I can, I can feel it. And so anyway, unfortunately that came to fruition. She was just crazy and we lost a lot of money on it. You know, nothing that wasn't, um, resolvable business wise, luckily, but yeah, it was still painful. Like, ugh. so we learned a lot. Our interview process. Yeah. Our interview process is much more serious. We have them talk. We have people who interview with us, talk to more stakeholders. We check backgrounds a lot more thoroughly we review work samples a lot more thoroughly. We, we make an effort to meet with people in person. So there's just a lot of, of diligence that we do, not in a paranoid way, but just to really understand the person more holistically, I think, before dumping in. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think just not letting other people dictate your process too. Like people are going to come to you with a lot of expertise and we definitely respect people that have been in the industry for a while and are bringing their professional background, but we can't change who we are and how we want to communicate with someone just because they have an ego about it. Um, and we've, you know, we found that with people that tend to be more experienced and have a lot of years under their belt that they will challenge you on your boundaries and your process. And you just have to really stay true to what, to yourself, because ultimately you're, you're paying this person. So you're making, you're taking a business risk, you're investing in them. Um, and it's, you know, it should be a mutual relationship and not just one-sided. Okay. So, so lastly, as we're wrapping this up, is there any favorite books that you have that you would recommend? I really like Tools of Titans, which is funny because I'm looking at it on the bookshelf right now. <laughs> um, I really like Tim Ferriss. I liked his him for a long time just because I love this idea of really going after anything that you want. I mean, he's really a pioneer with what he did with networking and you know really connecting with a lot of industry leaders. I think Tools of Titans is really interesting just because there's like you can go on the keto diet to cure cancers in the book. You know, there's pretty much everything um, through those interviews. Okay. And then if you were to, either one of you to bounce, uh, jump in on this one is, if you were to recommend something that someone would do unorthodox, a, something you would challenge our listeners to do differently, what would it be? Oh, um, challenge them to do something unorthodox or differently. I mean, for me, it would be, it's unorthodox just to do what other people say not to do from the get-go. Um, so for me, I mean, what I studied in undergrad was unorthodox. It was a horrible combination. Everyone said that it would lead nowhere, which wasn't true. And then leaving my really good consulting job, you know, great pay, great benefits, great opportunities is unorthodox. And then leaving the job after that and starting your own business while having children and people to pay for and living in an expensive city is unorthodox. So those sorts of things are unorthodox. And I would say, um, you know, if you really want to make something happen, the decision's most likely going to be unorthodox. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg quit Harvard. That's pretty unorthodox. So, you know, lots of cool things start from that perspective. And I would also say from a client perspective, our clients, we find that our best clients are the ones who think a bit unorthodox. They're the mm -hmm. ones out there who are willing to take a risk and are comfortable learning about what's happening in the world and ready to get that front end of inspiration for their innovation process or to know what's going to be different. We've had clients who, you know, I don't know if I can get this project through. It's a little different than what we've done before, you know, et cetera. And then they sign through and then they look like a rock star to their boss. Oh, this is like the type we just had a client the other day who said, this is the analysis that I've been dreaming of, you know? <laughs> so that was really rewarding. And it was because his employee took an unorthodox you know, leap of faith in signing on with us. And it turned out to, to be real successful. So it can make a big difference in your life as an entrepreneur, but also a big difference in your life internally, in your role um, and how you approach business from day to day. What about, Kenan, from you, think about from the education's perspective. I would just say that anytime you think you should do something, you should really question that. So I feel like a lot of, um, if you're graduating and you're thinking about what you want to do with your life, and you think you should go into a more traditional path or you should do this because it's going to pay higher, really challenge yourself on those beliefs. Because a lot of the times those are just beliefs that we've had for a really long time. Uh, from the time that we're children, actually, they're set by the time we're seven. Um, so really challenge yourself on, is it true that I couldn't get another type of job? Or is it true that there's not jobs in that field? And what would it really take to um, 
start out my educational path that way. And I think that we start to challenge some of those beliefs. You'll find that there's a lot of materials out there and a lot of knowledge out there online. Okay. And then if our listeners want to get a hold of you, if, you know, higher ed wants to get a hold of you and understand what you can do for them, how, how would they do that? They should just email us directly. So I'm Erin. We could do E-R-I-N at the EBCO or Kaylin, K-A-L-Y-N at the EBCO or info at the EBCO. Lots of variety there. But yeah, definitely email us. And the EBCO is T-H-E-E-B-C-O dot com. Yep. Well, great. Well, thank you for being here. And again, I challenge every one of you as listeners to do something unorthodox today. (laughs) 